Hi, I'm Eric Ostro, host of Live at the Lord Tell. For season four, we continue our focus on art and activism. Why do off-Broadway artists uplift certain causes, and how do those causes make them the artists they are today? And while we gather virtually, we'd like to recognize that we occupy land stolen from indigenous people. Join us in acknowledging this history and consider our role in reconciliation, decolonization, and allyship. Hi, good evening, everybody. My name is Eric Ostro. I'm one of the hosts tonight of Live at the Lord Tell. We're very excited. We have an incredible, talented guest. But first, I want to bring on my good friend and my co-host, John Andrew Morrison. <laughs> good evening, my friend. Good evening, most wonderful, glorious Eric Ostro. And how, how are you? Are you? I'm Good. I'm good. I'm in Boston today, and I'm very excited to talk to our most scintillating, talented, glorious guest. I am too, so let's get right to it. Okay, so <laughs> Grammy Award-winning and Tony-nominated actress Danielle Brooks was most recently starred on Broadway in The Piano Lesson, having previously starred on Broadway in The Color Purple. Later this year, she will star in Warner Brothers' feature film adaptation of The Color Purple. Danielle stars on the HBO Max series Peacemaker mm. and starred as the legendary gospel singer Mahalia Jackson in Mahalia, for which she earned the Actress Award for Television from the Critics' Choice Association, Celebration of Black Cinema and Television. Danielle was seen at the Delacorte Theater as Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing and is the co-founder of Black Women on Broadway which honors the legacy of Black women's contributions to the theater. Please welcome the extraordinary Danielle Brooks. Hey! Welcome, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> we are so happy me. to have you. I'm and very every happy. Every time you smile, it just lights up your room. I don't even think you need light in a room because it just <laughs> you just light it up. Incredible. Thank you. Thank Let's start you. what you just finished. You finished an extraordinary run of the piano lesson. And I was really interested in, I was reading up a lot about you over the past week. I know a lot now. I was fascinated. I mean, I know where you were first introduced to August Wilson, but I would love for you to tell our listeners where you first learned about August Wilson. Yes, Eric. Thanks for that lovely introduction, too. It was so beautiful. It's crazy hearing all of those things said tied to my name. You're like, wow. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. It happened with time. Yeah. But yes, my first introduction to the piano lesson was when I was about 16 years old. I went to an arts high school, the Governor's School for Arts and Humanity in Greenville, South Carolina. And I went there and I was the only chocolate girl in my class. And I was taught by all white men. And they did a lovely job teaching me because they got me where I am. But it was a very different experience for me. And so much so, I stumbled across August Wilson myself. We had a library of plays and all of the kids that came before, like there was a book of monologues that they had done for their auditions for colleges. And so I looked through that book and there was a girl named Stacy Scott, chocolate girl that was two years ahead of me. And she had done Raina from one of August Wilson's plays. I was like, Raina? So I read it and I was like, oh, this sounds like, a I like this black talk. Like, like this sounds like my cousin or my auntie. I'm like, okay, I like this. 
So I came across the piano lesson that was in the library. Thank God, whoever put that book in the library, you changed my life. Appreciate you. They put that book in the library and I read it and I could not let that book go, that play, I keep calling it a book, but the play go. I could not take my hands off of it. I could not stop reading it because for the first time, people sounded like me. They sounded like my uncle, my dad, my my grandmother. I just I never had that because I was reading Tennessee Williams. I was reading Chekhov. I was reading Shaw, you know. So this was my first introduction to a Black playwright, period. And I read it. And at the time, my grandmother had passed away. My godmother had passed away pretty young. So it was a huge hit for me as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, like having loss for the first time, understanding Mm -hmm. what that feels like, grief, and also wanting to honor my people, my family. And so... You know, when you know the the story, it it just was so intertwined for me. And so I found this monologue. Um, You ain't taking this piano out of my house. Look at at this piano. Look at it. Mama Ola promised this piano with her tears for 17 years. When I read that, oh, man, it changed my life. And so however many years later, to get to actually fully invest and embody this woman and learn Mm -hmm. her in totality was such a gift for me. And to also like not have to go through the hoo-ha of auditioning for it, which Mm -hmm. as actors can be so much work and pressure and everyone's not good at auditioning. Like you can be a dope actress, but that doesn't like, sometimes you can lose a job just from the audition when you actually could kill it. So I'm really grateful to have gotten to do that and like, yeah, just to see my name and my face next to the piano lesson. (laughs) It must be surreal to you. I mean, does it take you back to being 15 or 16 years old and saying, I'm going to play this one day? Yeah, because I auditioned. The part I left out was that I ended up auditioning and using that for the audition to go to Juilliard. Juilliard. And so... Through all of that, um, getting into Juilliard with that piece, it just meant a lot. It's so full circle. And I just don't know. Like, my life's kind of been a lot of full circle moments, like, even with the color purple, you know. But this one, it takes the cake for sure. Just also off of the legacy of who August Wilson is and how challenging it is for any Black actor to even get close to getting to portray any of the characters on Broadway is like a mm. feat in itself. So to get to do that, especially as women, because there's not even that many roles in his canon for women. It was a big deal. So I'm just grateful, y'all. I'm like, yeah, we did it. We did it. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. I have one one follow-up about the piano lesson, which you brought down the house, number one, with that speech. I mean, it's it's a well-known speech. I know a lot of people do it for auditions, but to me, it was as if I was seeing it for the first time. And I was sitting so close, and you were so in the moment. It was a magnificent journey you took us on. I mean, everybody in that cast was extraordinary. But what was the experience you had playing the iconic role of Bernice and 
what is your personal process creating a character through rehearsal? We have a lot of, I think, young students that that listen to us and, and really want to know from seasoned artists what your process is like. Bernice has such a deep, intense sentiment, you know, not to mention the history of the piano, whatever, but I'd be interested in the process of it. The process is my favorite part. I love rehearsal. I could kind of do it out <laughs> being on stage. <laughs> That's the hard part. <laughs> you know, that is the hard part. But the process of collaborating is my favorite. Mm. I spend a lot of time with the script before we get into rehearsal, reading it over and over, reading the monologues over and over. You know, going through each part of like learning about Pittsburgh, learning about the 1930s, learning about women. I love photos. Like photos are my mm. insight. Like th I think photos tell a hundred thousand stories. For example, you know, looking at women in the 30s and the way their tights were, you know, and how they could have open toe shoes, but still be wearing tights. So just that tells me so much about her reserve and, and how modest she might be. I, I just love, I love images. And so I do the deep dive as all of us actors do, but then for me is all about coming with the people in that room mm -hmm. because there's so many things that you discover as you go along. And I love to be the type of actor that flips things on his head. Like I, I love getting to collaborate with people and finding the moments and the just the details really together. So, for example, like working with Ray, uh, he was my love interest in my scene partner. And just the little details that we would find together in between the lines. There's so much that's said in between the lines and finding that together. To me, that's where I love to live. Uh, mm. And I think it's that's what like really brings a character to life, not just how you say the words. And of course, you want to focus on your objective and how you get there and all of those things. But I think what makes a really sharp actor are those little details that you find with your scene partner. I spend a lot of time, and I mean, I would come in an hour and a half early every day to first get these lines because <laughs> that was a mm. lot of work. Yeah. And trying super hard to be word perfect. And then also me and John David would get together if Trey Byers came in early. Whoever was ready to work, I was ready to work. So I would always come in early and try to be the last one to leave. And that just serves me well because it's almost like it's almost like you leaving the dinner table, but everybody might have forgot about dessert, and that's like the best part of the meal. So <laughs> stay a little longer because there might be a little more to discover, mm. and that's sort of how I do my my process. But then the part that sucks the most to me, and maybe you know, I know you can relate to this, maybe John Andrews, because. You've been on stage too, Eric. Please forgive me if you've been on stage. I don't know. <laughs> Not to the degree. I mean, I've been on. No. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a watcher you know, now. Whatever. Yeah. No, no, but no. You, you know, you know what it is to do this. Of course. Yeah. Um, I just hate when we have to lock a show. 
Mm. Like I really don't like, and if for you all that might not know what lock a show means, that's basically once you've opened that show is set and you can't right. go changing things to it. And I'm cool with that. Like I'm cool with the don't move this fork anywhere else, but the place we right. sit set. But when it comes to like the back and forth that ball bouncing with my fellow actor. If we find something new, let's play. Yeah. Like, I, like right. I'm like, let's go. I don't like staying stuck because there's something like, I just feel like there's always something to discover. And that's why we do live theater is yeah. to continuously discover, not to just stay stuck in a rhythm. So that's the only thing about my process that starts to get hard is when we like actually transfer and have to stay, you know, the course. <laughs> I think what's amazing for the audience is that when, when we watch good plays and good directed plays and amazing actors is the discovery that we're watching you discover. That's the key to good theater that it's in the moment. I mean, you know what though, like once you're running, you're still going to grow and play, you know, just like do what you do because you got to do what you, you got to do what you got to do. Anyway, I mean, like, you're like, all right, don't step off of this mark because the light ain't going to hit you. But like, if something needs to grow, grow it. But the thing that I was very curious about was these two moments in your life hitting this play. And what is it like to encounter this as a girl? And then to encounter this as a grown woman, just the same text. And how does that like resonate differently in your life as a young woman and now as a grown woman being able to come back to this text and like how, how did that sit and hit in your, Ooh, in your being? That's a good question. That's such a good question. This is why I love talking to theater folk. Y'all be asking the right questions. Everybody else be so general. Um, <laughs> like we can talk, you know? Yes, that's um, what we want. Just talk. I, yeah. It, like, so, yes, I went through, you know, my first traumatic experience of losing some two people that was very close to me. So I had that, but I did not have the like life experience, you know, the, the one thing that was strong for me was the sense of family, like the importance of legacy, the importance of inheritance, the importance of remembering those that came before you that has always been like strong. So the foundation of the character of Bernice, I had that part, but it's all that other stuff of what it means to be a wife what it means to have given birth and now raising a child, which are now experiences I've had and are in living. What it is to even own a home. And you know, like, because Bernice is <laughs> yeah. somebody who's running this house. She's the head honcho of this, this home, you know, the woman of the house and what it is to like really not know what it is to have a check coming through, you know? So all of those things have now gotten deeper. And also like my relationship to the ancestors have grown. That's a whole nother conversation. Cause I was having like, that really was real for me connecting to them. Those that are, are on have crossed over mm -hmm. and having conversations with them at the end of the play. And also like 
now I've matured as an actor. So I know, I know when to like, when I'm going too far, mm-hmm. when to pull back, you know, cause you can lose yourself in some characters too. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and talking to the dead as some people might think I'm crazy. I don't care, but talking <laughs> to the dead can go deep. You know what I mean? And at the time, like, just lost my brother, Darius Barnes, who y'all might know, who's a choreographer uh, for Kimberly Akimbo. Mm -hmm. And, like, just having, like, I also had another friend who passed away who actually was a piano player that I grew up with. So just really um, hearing their voices now in Mm -hmm. a way that my 15-year-old self it would have scared me first of all, and I just wouldn't have been able to, to navigate. So it's a big transition going from the 15, 16 year old to now a grown woman yeah, uh, yeah. playing her. And it's crazy because people used to say that to me, like you need more life experience. I, I think like you're living life. So that's life experience. Like you're going through it. You know, you might not know what it means for some aspects of your character all the way yet, but that's okay, I think. But then it's a whole nother thing when you actually have gone through (laughs) a Mm -hmm. lot of your characters experiencing and the depth, you can just go deeper. That was the exciting part for me was getting to go deeper with her. I I just want to ask, how do you leave the character at home? especially when like you're doing you're doing something and it's all right it's kind of now in your spirit in your experience how do you the actor then go okay show is done i gotta put you to bed do you have Mm -hmm. something that you do or some kind of ritual or some way of like i gotta i gotta leave you here for the night all this actually helped my bernice because i can only speak for my version but for me he helped by writing after calling on them saying, thank you. Thank you. And get, that was my way of releasing it is acknowledging Mm. what just happened, saying Mm. thank you to them, the experience Mm. and letting it go. And then for me, always taking off their wig (laughs) 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 yeah and especially you're in a broadway theater full of ghosts full of ghosts right like i mean these those buildings are just haunted like yeah yeah oh yeah (laughs) so i mean you had a baby how old is she two she's three now three um experience of of having um, this baby girl, what? How did you change as an artist? What What has she brought to you? First of all, like I was able to shed a lot of my own insecurities. Mm. I held a lot of um, anxiety when I yeah. did Color Purple. Really? Uh, okay. Oh yeah, I just I, I felt like a fraud. I felt mm. I had imposter syndrome. Mm. So you, felt just, undes- you felt non-deserving. Yes. And I worked hard. Believe me, if you only I'm knew sure. how many Broadway shows I had auditioned for in the past and just right. no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. So when I finally got it, 
And then I was nominated for the Tony. It rocked my world. I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. They are going to find out. I really can't sing. And (laughs) my acting skills are not that great, which is all this false narrative I had created. But a lot of it came from feeling alone Mm -hmm. and feeling like there's all of these eyes on me. And I just had all this pressure. But the minute I was pregnant with my daughter and I stepped into Shakespeare in the park, yeah. um, much ado about nothing, gone. I don't know yeah. what it was. And the reason I think it, I actually do feel like I know what it was. I think it was knowing that I wasn't alone. Like I had somebody with me, like my daughter was actually with me. And then also <laughs> because when you're pregnant, you have mommy brain. And I'm up here doing Shakespeare. <laughs> I was just like, if anything goes wrong, I'm just gonna blame it on uh-huh. being um, to be like. like <laughs> you, you got mommy. Oh, you got pregnant mind. Yeah, I got, got pregnant yeah. head. <laughs> I got pregnant head. So it just it really laxed me up. It just helped me to understand like I'm not alone. And so when Freya is her name, when Freya. Yeah. Um, came over to the upside and was Earthside, and I was now in piano lesson. I had to also remember I'm still not alone. So now I have them in the flesh, but like I'm a very spiritual person. So I had to remember, like, oh yeah, God is with me now. Like, God is here. I'm not alone. We're going to rock this thing out and we're going to do what we have to mm. do. It's not the end of the world if this thing crumbles. Because there's going to be some gold at the end of the tunnel. I just, mm-hmm. it has to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really loosened me up having my daughter. It just really also reminded me like why I'm doing it. The purpose changed, you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't all about me anymore. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Have completely. Have and that completely helps shifted. with this imposter syndrome. I read in an article when you say the only time you felt fully free and at peace was when you were pregnant and playing Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing. I mean, but Beatrice is such a physical and, and taxing role. I mean, you know, it was an incredible performance. I mean, you were all over that stage. and, and <laughs> I, was, I was rolling under the You the ate seat. that stage and then you put it, it in so your handbag fun. and off you went. I mean, it <laughs> that was a phenomenal show. Thank you for seeing it. It was oh. so much fun to play. Like I, we were yeah. supposed to actually, we had a chance to go to Broadway after we yeah. did it, but I was pregnant and could, <sighs> I was no way I was, could do it. So we weren't able to, but I would, that's one. You might can get me back to do that one for sure. Cause uh, <laughs> I just, I was, it was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like living in between the lines mm-hmm. and like breaking that. I love breaking up the words and really busting them open and making them mine. Like I, it was so much fun getting to like, say, seeing your been a dick, you know, and like yeah. <laughs> landing the dick because I'm trying to get to him, you know, get under his skin. Like I love finding moments like that. So I had a blast and my scene partner, Grantham Coleman, was so wonderful to work Red with. After, yeah. The whole cast was having fun. I mean, it was like an explosion on that stage. And, you know, 
we as audience members can see and tell when everybody is really enjoying themselves. You know, it, it, it's not, you know, you're following the play. It's not, not that it's not Shakespeare anymore, but it's, it, it was set in an incredible time and everybody was so perfectly cast and Thank so you. free. There was no tension or inhibitions or I, yeah. I didn't see any insecurity on that stage. Everybody knew where they were and where they were going. And it just was, when you feel that on stage, we can feel that in the audience. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Shout out to Kenny Leon for directing uh, that, but also like really giving the, uh, the freedom, you know, like he, he's always come from a place of the best idea will win. And he truly yeah. means that. And I just really respect that because he can allow his ego to like be out of the room to make sure that we tell a great story. Right. And so I appreciate him just letting me fly. Like he just let me, I would have an idea. He's like, yeah, go just see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so appreciate yeah. that. The yes. Give you the yes. Gives you the permission to at least try mm -hmm. and it might fail, but like you get to try it. And that's great. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I saw Color Purple on Broadway four mm -hmm. times and I <laughs> loved you <laughs> in that show. And I loved that show. And so I'm just like curious about, you know, that was your Broadway debut. What was the experience of like doing, cause the response I mean, it was electric. There was something electric about that show and, and the simplicity of the staging, but the vibrancy of that story and these black bodies on the stage, it killed me every time, wrecked me, wrecked me, wrecked me. And I loved it so, so much. So that play, what, that what a way to make a that, debut. That theater shook. It shook. Yeah. yeah. It, um, it was did, super special. How did it come to you? Yeah. It was so special. It was magic. It was magic. And I don't like using that word. I'm kind of like, it's kind of overused to me. But that one was super special. And I think that's why some of my anxiety came out too, is because we knew what we had. We knew mm. at a certain um. point, like, oh my gosh, people are coming to see this four or five times, mm -hmm. you know? People are like holding hands at the end of this play who've never met each other and are crying to each other. And so we knew the weight of this responsibility that we had as storytellers that it could it, at times could feel overwhelming. Mm. But I think we had such a great ensemble. I just loved how everybody really supported each other through that process that we were able to like create what we created and our director was phenomenal. Like I John love, Doyle. I love, oh, yeah, John Doyle. love his work. Yeah. Oh, he broke, you know, just the simplicity, like you said, and, and breaking it down and getting back to the basics, which again, I love to make a baby out of a sheet, you know, and then, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then make it, um, the waters of Africa. Or, like I just, yeah. I, loved that production and being a part of it was super special for me. And, and that's, I don't know if y'all know this full circle part of that for me, but the color purple was the first Broadway show I saw at 15. Oh. I had won this like competition in Greenville uh, and they were flying like 15, 20 kids out with their parents wow. to New yeah. York. 
and I had won, and me and my daddy went out, and Color Purple and Lion King was the only two shows that had black people in. <laughs> and my dad, Color Purple, changed my life, changed my life. I was like, what? Like, I can do this yeah. as a profession? Yeah. Like, I don't just wow. have to, like, stay in Greenville. Like, I can actually uh-huh. go out and do this. And so, yeah, 10 years later, I was in Color Purple, The Revival, uh, which is so crazy to me because it's just that reminder of like letting life do what it does because again I had auditioned for so many shows and I kept hearing no and I just couldn't understand why and now you know I understand the why and I would not trade it for anything it's it's just changed my life completely to even now I'm getting to do a movie and you understand now that you being on that stage there's some black girl who's seeing you and going 100 yeah. that's why yeah. you you can't have an off day you know the oh, responsibility yeah. right. to someone else's life right. and what right. they're supposed to discover about who they are rides on you sometimes yeah. and i know that and i know it firsthand because knowing Lashance now but mm-hmm. And getting to tell her in her face, like, you've changed yeah. my life. You know, yeah. losing Tony to Renee Goldsberry when she was uh, playing Nettie in mm-hmm. this original play. You oh, know, dear right. Like, yeah. yeah. So when she took that home, I was like, go ahead, sister, because you changed <laughs> my life. In that, you know? <laughs> uh, so I definitely understand that what we do is so intertwined with other people's lives. So I never, I always have to give everything I got always. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I saw it. I had to see it three times because I had to see Miss Hudson. I had to see Miss Heather. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I didn't. I did not want it. There is one of those shows that you are sitting next to a stranger, and you're you're holding hands, and you are at the end there. And then I went back and I saw Jennifer Holiday. The excitement on that stage, the shininess, and the audience. Even though there was a lot of talking back, it worked. It just seemed to work. And I, I we had the opportunity to interview John Doyle probably a couple of years after the show. And he said that that was one of the favorite jobs he ever did in his life mm-hmm. because it just, the pieces just came together so beautifully. What changed when you went in for your audition for The Color Purple? I know that you had been out of Juilliard for a little while and you were getting a lot of rejections. <laughs> what changed when you walked into yeah. that room? So... <laughs> Taking it back. Um, okay, good. So I had auditioned for a lot of off Broadway, Broadway. Kept getting a lot of callbacks after call. I'll never forget auditioning for Rent off Broadway, and Billy Porter was an associate directing, and we were in the auditions, and they're teaching us the dance stuff. And I'm not the best dancer. I can dance, but I can't remember choreography like that. So I knew what my weakness was, but I played, I always played against it. So they got us doing all this do 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 stuff. And I remember 
after we did the, the number, I popped in a split because I was like, y'all going to see me. Y'all going to take me to the next level. <laughs> I never forget Billy Point going, now that's how you get a call back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little baby Danielle, I didn't get the job, but it was just a lot of getting so close but not getting it, getting so close. So crazy enough, a lot of people don't know this, but it's that time where you know you can share stuff because it's been some time. I had auditioned for Diane Paulus for Pippin, and they were looking for someone to replace Patina Miller. Mm, and I was really the leading excited player, yeah. As the leading player, because Patina and I, she's from South Carolina too. We went mm. to the same high school. She's a little older than I, but she's just always been like a role model to me growing mm. up. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I got it. And, and mind you, this is after Orange. So my star is starting to rise. Right. And so I was like, this is cool. Like they they're they must be reimagining this character a little bit and seeing what you know other people can bring to it. I had gotten like six, seven callbacks for this. I was getting real close. And the final one, they said, Danny, would they want to just do a, um, what do you call it, a workshop? Not even workshop, a director's session session with you. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I'm thinking director's session is going to be me and Miss Paulus. We're going to get in there, piano player. We're going to just work some stuff out. No. It was like (laughs) 20 people in suits. Mm. This was it. And I was not ready. So oh. I go in there, can't find a note to the song flat, working on trying to do the sides, can't remember the lines, just trying like joke after joke, trying to like waste time mm-hmm. to get myself together, mm-hmm. falling apart, falling apart. At this point, one of the casting directors on his phone, not paying attention. And I finally just said, I'm sorry, I'm cutting this audition short. <laughs> I cut my own self off. I said, this is not what I want you all to remember me by. And I know that I'm better than this. So I'm going to have to politely walk away. And they were so sweet about it. I mean, I was a hot mess. I was a wreck. I was very sad because, you know, like this is such a of huge course. opportunity. I just didn't make the mark and couldn't pull through. And they were lovely. Like Diane ended up writing me a lovely letter. Telsey ended up reaching out because they believed in me, but it just wasn't working. Right. And so immediately after that, I went straight into private dance lessons. I was paying a girl fifty dollars to help me <laughs> get a break to you know sachet pot of break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went into singing lessons. And I was just like, I need to prepare. Just because yeah. I finished Juilliard does not mean that mm-hmm. I have everything set. You got to keep going, right. To keep working on your skills. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And from there on, the next audition I got was Color Purple. And mm-hmm. I was ready. My <laughs> mind was ready. Yeah. I could move, whatever you needed me to do. You know, m- my mental was like ready for this. And so, yeah, I went in. It was between me and two other women that I have much respect for in this industry. And I ended up taking it home. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Fabulous. 
I love that you, when you were in the Pippin audition and you stopped yourself and you said, I'm better than this. I, I can't, I'm not giving it to you today because I don't, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. That yeah. takes guts. Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of people just would have gone through the motions. But yeah. what you did was you knew that it just wasn't working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's that weird thing of like, you cannot get to this point where you're like, oh, if it's for me, it is for me. And there's also something about the readiness the being ready to show up for the opportunity that I love in that, in that story. And sometimes you have to lose the one to be able to kind of show you what you need to do for the other thing. It really, like, it really is a continuum. God couldn't have written the story any better. The yeah, fact no. that I learned all of those lessons from that one experience, but also gained so much from actually getting to step into this for my first time. Mm-hmm. Cause if I would have got Pippin, it closed, I'll never forget it closed like first week of January. And so I would have been in it for two months. I would have thought, mm. Oh my gosh, I'm the reason it closed. You know, there right. just would have been no, you know, <laughs> there would have been no, no gain in it. Mm-hmm. But with this, I get to talk about it, you know, Color Purple being my first show I saw and now getting to be in it, getting to have mm. the connection with Miss Oprah, now getting to do the movie. That would have not happened if I would have right. taken that course, path that I thought I should have taken. Yeah. Well, let's let you mention it. So let's talk about the movie. <laughs> so we all can't wait. And I know there's probably not a lot you could tell us, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know who the I know who's cast in every part, but are you finished filming? Oh yes, we are finished filming. I can tell you that much. I can tell you that this one's definitely one for the books. Ooh. It is gonna be so good, Ugh. and I mean that, you know, because I would be talking about it a lot differently if I didn't feel that way. But what our director Blitz has brought to this and the cast, Coleman Domingo, we have so many theater mm. in this, Corey Hawkins, myself, Fantasia. I'm sure I'm missing somebody who's done theater too. Even Taraji P. Henson is a theater yeah. girl. She's done mm-hmm. Broadway, but is done theater. Um, yeah. So it's just something special. I can't it's wait to see Taraji. Like, and they put the money behind it. Mm-hmm. And the storytelling is just, it's just so good. <laughs> and I cannot wait to, um, I can't wait till the holidays. I know it's coming out around the holidays. I don't really know which one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but I know that it's coming this year. And uh, I'm excited for everyone to see it. What's your Oprah experience like? Is I know you don't like to say the word magical, but, you know. What's what's just the energy like? I mean, I could only, you know, in my head, we are the best of friends. And, you know, I'm at her Montesino house and we're sitting outside (laughs) in those big chairs, drinking some of her favorite tea. And we, you know, talk for hours a day. Maybe Ellen comes over from next door. I just, you know, that's, that's my daydreaming. But what is your experience with this goddess? I'm still daydreaming with you. I'm still <laughs> on the hike. 
No, it's been really great. You know, I the first time when I stepped in the cover on Broadway, I wasn't able to truly form a bond with her. And, you know, I think some of it has to do with me because I don't ever want to feel pressed or like I want something from someone. So I kind of kept my distance a lot. And, you know, if God brings us together, cool. And then during that time, we weren't really close at all. So when she called to give me the job personally, it meant a lot because the one thing I felt like I never got to say to her was thank you. I never mm-hmm. really got to say thank you for choosing me to do your this part that you originated. And I was able to tell her that. And then I was able to ask her, you know, questions. We got on the phone and I was asking her questions. She was telling me all these amazing stories about her experience in doing the movie 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, we start talking more and she's dropping me voice memos. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> From Oprah, you know, like it's great. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's super cool. You and then for her to show up, she oh, I will. I'm, I'm not oh, getting yeah. rid of my phone for that. <laughs> like, I literally have a new number, and I'm just keeping it. Number, <laughs> 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 I'm keeping my old number. Now, you know, I'm able to really form a true relationship and friendship with her. And we have this bond that a lot of people don't get to have. You know, mm-hmm. I think of, um, what's her girl's name? Ariana DeBose a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think about her relationship to the woman who played Laura. With Rita Moreno. Yeah. Yeah. Rita Moreno. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how rare that is that yeah. you get to connect with the person who originated something that special. So I feel like the luckiest girl in the world, you know, and I'm, grateful to have come to this path without forcing anything uh-huh. without ego without being a diva just naturally letting life happen the way it's supposed to be and um, things have come to me you know and this one is very special to have her friendship and for her to come to piano lesson and see me in that oh, I mean, a lot. so of course um, i'm wondering now because you work in all the mediums that actors work in, right? So you you work in film, you work in TV, you work in theater. For the people who might be watching, what's the difference? How do you adjust the single craft that is acting to meet all of these different mediums? How do you change your mindset or your scaling of your technique to be able to meet the different medium that you're working in? Yes. I've had to learn that with time because that's something I feel like Julia actually doesn't teach you that much of, at least when I was a student, we weren't getting film courses. We weren't getting how to act for TV. We were getting theater straight, listening, responding, you know, what you want, how you going to get it. (laughs) The way it worked. So I had to learn that along the way. And I remember my is like my second episode of Orange is the New Black and the director wanted me to like get on the table and just be big and bold and just do whatever I wanted to on this table and I said 
sir, are you sure you want me to do that? Because I thought I was supposed to be small on TV. He was like, no, go for it. Go for it. What? I was so confused. And that's when I realized most of that, the calibration is so minimal. It's so like 20% of the job of, or of, of, of adjusting to these different mediums. The 80% is all about being honest and true to your character. If your character is big and bold, that's what it is. You yeah. know, whether that's TV, film, or theater. And that's the same across the board. It's like you can have somebody, I always think of Leslie Odom Jr. When he was in Hamilton and just how small his choices was. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to do, yes, he had his big numbers, but with his, his choice and character was very small movement. Yeah. So that part is, that's always just, that's the 80% to me. But then the 20% is like, Okay, the camera's closer. So you doing mm, so much mm. your face is not gonna be the thing to do unless that's <laughs> right. You know, and then I realized that in theater too, like I would go all the way to the top, top seat, right before some of the shows. And I was like, they can't see my face for nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I realized there got there has to be moments that I scale it up. So that they can really feel what I'm I'm doing, even if you can't physically see my facial expressions. So it's all been, you know, a lot of learning throughout the years. But my biggest thing is as long as you're honest and true, that's all you really need. Everything yeah. else can be taught, you know, how to step on a, a mark. How to get your mark and all that stuff. Yeah, that right. stuff yeah. can be taught. But the, the 80% is the most important, and that's just staying true to who your character is. Yeah. Speaking of tasty, what is that overnight experience? I mean, you, I mean, tasty was your, your first, you know, well, there she goes. But you go from kind of obscurity to walking down the street and everybody knows screaming at you, probably tasty, tasty. I mean, very, yeah, it was what's, that, what's that like? In the course of 13 hours, my life had changed. I yeah. was 13 hours famous. Wow. That's all. It's 13 episodes, 13 hours. I remember it like yesterday of just the numbers on Instagram growing and yeah. taking the subway and like groups of eight, you know, teenage girls hollering, that's tasty. And I still got five more stops to go, you know, getting on the bus or even being in a car and somebody like coming up to the car at a stop light and kissing my cheek because my window was down. Like, I remember these moments. I remember, especially Pride, when we would go to Pride events during that time, <laughs> it was like we was the Jackson Five. Like, we was New Direction. Is that the group's name, New Direction? Yeah. We was whatever big group, we was there. Like we had to have security. It was insane. So to the point, like my therapy sessions became about that. Like how do I navigate? Which was yeah. actually really great because the show had so many women of different levels in their career. So you had like the newbies, myself at the time, Samira, 
Uzo, Aduba, Adrian Moore. Right. We're all the new right. ones. But then you have like Natasha Leon, Laura Prepine, right. Kate McGrew. Yeah. They've done this for a while. T- Taryn Manning. They they so they were able to school us on what a manager was, <laughs> what a business uh. manager. You know, and then it was tough because Netflix was so new. Right. So you're thrown into fame, but yeah. ain't got no money. So <laughs> now, all of a sudden we supposed to look like something at this event and roll up in a car, but we ain't got no car money. <laughs> we ain't got no new clothes, buddy. So you pull oh. you 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 jumping on the subway and and pulling oh something from your closet. <laughs> I remember Natasha Leon took me and Samira Wiley to a concert. It was an Eminem concert. Everybody was there, like Buster Rhymes, all these big rappers. <laughs> and they gave me and Samira a badge that said celebrity. And we were like, oh, my God. <laughs> what is happening? And I kid you not, this celebrity took the picture at the step and repeat with Black leggings on and a hole in her <laughs> leggings. <laughs> like, <laughs> trying to be cool, like yeah. you had a big ass hole in your in your. <laughs> oh yes, started from the bottom. Now we here for real. Oh it my was, gosh! Yeah, so you know. I just want to ask because the time is coming up and oh. one of my favorite things is a home and garden TV show and your renovation show on Netflix blew my mind. So we need to talk about that. And then also Peacemaker, John Cena kind of fine. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that superhero series. So can you talk about both of those things? <laughs> we also, before we leave, we got to talk about black women on Broadway. So oh, right. Let, sorry. Let, let's, uh, uh, give us a couple of things on Cena. And, uh, yes. John Cena, yes. The hardest part for me was like, dang, his muscles are so big. Like his fingers are big. Do you feel yeah. me? Like his uh, knuckles, <laughs> that's all his muscles. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. That's yeah, in my that's dream right. too with Oprah. He's sitting next to me. So. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I love Peacemaker because um I was yeah, able to really oh thanks to just open the box up a lot for women that look like me, and we can be in DC and Marvel too. Yeah, you know, yeah, we can absolutely. be running around just alongside a John Cena. That's so that was really right. special to me. So I'm really grateful to James Gunn for bringing me along for that ride. And we're still going. When we going? I don't know, but we're going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then with the renovation show on Netflix. Oof. That was really special, uh, getting to just change people's lives that are really uh, deserving of In that. one day. In one yeah. day. I know. It's crazy. It is crazy. Like, the team is a team of, like, over 200 people. It, it was it was a lot of fun to host. And, and also just, like, not have a script to just kind of yeah. do my own thing. You were just kind of improvising, right? 
mm-hmm. and let people see who I am versus just the people that I get to play on TV. So that I think that's fun. nice when we get to see, you know, who you really are on something like that. I mean, and, you know, you weren't this little dainty little host, you know, <laughs> that, that's got a script. You were you were you. You yeah. were you like you yeah. are right now. But we need to talk about Black Women on Broadway, which is something you started. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. And, and how we can contribute. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so Black Women on Broadway is very near and dear to my heart. It was started by myself, Amber Iman, and Justin Bio, two other fabulous Black women that are in this industry as well. And we just really wanted to create a space for Black women to understand that they are seen and they are valued in this space. It is not only for Broadway women, but off-Broadway, regional, Mm -hmm. and young girls that are in college and are looking for a place to be in this business. We want them to know through leadership courses that we are giving out, mentorship, Mm -hmm. yeah, really leadership courses that we've done to know that they can be producers, they can be stage managers, there's other positions that they can do that might not be, you know, the actor that are just as valuable. So we really have been focusing our energy in that as well as our soiree that we do. We've just had our first one last year that takes place a week before the Tonys, where we gather as many Black women together and celebrate three. We honor three women. You know, just want everyone to know that they are seeing there's a place for us. We love the Tonys. Hope to get one one day. Um, But we also want to know that, like, let, let Black women know that we see you and we can acknowledge each other's accomplishments just as much as we would like that from other people. We can do that first for each other. So, And if you want to check more out about it, it is blackwomenonbroadway.com. What can people do to be involved with your organization? Yes. You can hit us up on the website. There's a a page on there to contact us. If you'd like to be involved, we do do our celebration every year, which we're hosting this year in June. So we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for people that are willing to give finances as well. It's tax deductible. We don't make a dime off of this. And there's only three of us grassrooting this thing. So Mm -hmm. please, please help us out. If you can, a dollar, $25, 25 cents. It don't matter, but we really want about a hundred thousand if you help us out. (laughs) (laughs) But also like if there's anything that you need from us, when we'd had the pandemic, a lot of girls were like, just not understanding what to do with the time, like wanting to get into producing, but not knowing how. And so if there's a skill that you have that is valuable to someone else's growth, please share that with us in an email. We would love to share that uh, and get something started. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'd like to end a little bit about what, you've said, and I have a quote here and and what you want to pass on. I think about how I want your daughter, you know, how I want her to live, speaking of your daughter, and I have to be that example for her. So I'm sitting here beating myself up every day and, and she sees that and that's not the example I want her to see. I know I give her daily affirmations every day. Is that something you do every day? You give her a daily affirmation? 
We get up at 7 a.m. I get her ready for school. And the first thing I say when she looks in the mirror, Freya, you're beautiful. Look at your hair, Freya. Look at your cheeks, your skin. Every morning, every morning, she gets affirmations from her mama. Wow. That is it. That's what I call me in the morning and give me a few. (laughs) I could use just just a couple more. It doesn't have to be all, but maybe once a week. I got you. I got you. you. Uh, Danielle Brooks, this is this has been an incredible honor. John Andrew and I are both huge fans. We think you're extraordinarily talented. What you give back to us and the world we're very grateful for. So we thank you. Thank you. And I thank thank you all for having me, for, you know, taking the call and and doing this podcast is very important to our community. It's super important for those that are coming up. You know, I just really thank you all for doing and creating a space for us to talk about what we do in the craft and how much we love it. Because I know growing up, I was obsessed with watching like as much as I could about certain artists that I love. So I really just appreciate you allowing the space for us to share. So. Well, thank you. You're awesome. Thank you. I'll talk to you you tomorrow morning at seven. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) And that's our show in two weeks on April 3rd at 7 p.m. Joy and I will interview the legendary Jerry Zachs, who has directed 26 Broadway shows. He has received four Tony Awards and been nominated eight times. Jerry has also directed 17 off-Broadway productions, including the original productions of Assassins, Sister Mary Ignatius, Baby with the Bass Water, and The Marriage of Bette and Boo. He received the SDC's George Abbott Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Theater, and it is a 2013 inductee to the Theater Hall of Fame. I'm looking forward to this interview. Please, everyone, go see a show. Broadway and Off-Broadway is open. Go see a show. Be safe. And uh, we love you. Thank you for coming out. Thank you, Danielle. We love you. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucille Lortel Theater. Live at the Lortel is produced by George Forbes, executive producer yours truly, and associate producer Jeffrey Schubart. Press is provided by Sin Gogolak, GoGo Public Relations. And special thanks to Nancy Hurwitz, Alana Candy Samuel, Mata Levinas, Carla Liriano, and Ellen Chan. Live at the Lortel sound engineer and mixer is Brian Falk at Abacus Entertainment. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>